Now, first of all, uh, we're beginning a series called This Is Us. Uh, and it's not to do with the, uh, the particular TV show on Netflix that, um, that you need counseling after you've watched it. Um, but this is us. And now somebody said, what does this mean? What is this writing here, Pastor Phil? What, what mysterious message are you trying to tell us here? Uh, it's not. He's a typewriter. So, um, so, but we are talking about this is us. And this is us is the church. And we're going to talk about a subject that the enemy in our time and at this time is trying to um, erode the beauty and the majesty of the church and wants to take church and, and, and destroy church and there's a battle on for church. And I'll explain about this as we move into the series. And what we want to do through this is work out in January that sense of why church, what God's heart is for church, what the Lord wants to move in church. And many of us have been raised in church. I was not raised in church. It was a very strange experience coming to church for the first time when I was 15 years old. I arrived at the church and these guys on the front doors wearing suits greeted me. They looked like nightclub bouncers. And first of all, and I, I knew about nightclubs. And so I knew that I was going to be in trouble. And actually that service, when I arrived, I was thrown out um, for throwing hymn books on Christians' heads from the balcony. Don't get any, that's why we've removed all hymn books from this church. Uh, it was a weird experience. I'd never, it'd be like some of you and me. I've never been in the casino ever in my life. And that may amaze you. Uh, where are you going this afternoon? Uh, but I've never been in one. And, and it would be weird. I've never actually placed a bet on a horse in a bucky's. I don't, know if you, I don't know if we have buckies in Canada. I've never noticed. In England, you have them all around. I wouldn't know what to do. It's strange. It's weird. It was, and it felt like I was going to an environment. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to stand. I didn't know where to sit. I didn't know any of the words of the songs. And when they opened the Bible, I, I couldn't find out where the things were. I sat there. And, um, and in that church of mysterious place, in that gospel hall, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Uh, years later, I became the senior pastor. And so they didn't boot me out, obviously. Uh, but, but I want to talk about church. And I want to talk about this now. Let, where do I want to start with this journey with us this morning? It bothered me when I first read the Bible... That Uzziah was walking along with the Ark of the Covenant. And if you're not a Christian and you don't know Bible stories, the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God was. And they would bring the Ark of the Covenant and they would treat it in the most uh, reverent way because within that Ark was the commandments, within it was the manna. Of, uh, that came in the wilderness. Within it was the rod of Aaron, the authority. And then the presence of God traveled with the Ark of the Covenant. There was an awesomeness about it. There was a presence about it. And I read this and poor Uzziah uh, tripped over, touched the Ark and God killed him. I was like, what? Why? 
poor chap. They hit a pothole. And now he's dead. And I thought, you know, well, that's not very nice, is it? What's what? Why? Why was this? And of course, they were very nervous about this. And it went to the Gits, the house of the Gits, to, for the ark to be looked after. Oh, wow. And then I read that Saul, preparing for a, a, a battle, instead of waiting for Samuel, decided to do a sacrifice before the battle himself. And as a result of that, God removed his kingdom from him and said, you're no longer going to be the king. It seems quite logical that before you go to a battle, you do a sacrifice, but Saul couldn't wait for Samuel to come. He proceeded to do this himself, and he lost his kingdom. And then I read that Moses was so frustrated, and if you read the story of Moses and the people of Israel, you understand why he was frustrated. You understand that these people were moaning, they were groaning, they were gossiping, they were going for it. This was just a nightmare to lead them. It was just terrible. And he got so frustrated with them that rather than speak to the rock for the water to come out, he took his staff and he struck the rock and God says, you will not get into the promised land now. This is this. This is heavy. This is, this is heavy stuff. And so he has to look at the promised land. And I've uh, mentioned it. I've been there. And, and you, you can see the mountain right there where he stood. And he looked at the land across. But he was never allowed to enter in because of this. Then you move into the New Testament and you've got Ananias and Sapphira who boasted and exaggerated about the amount of money they would given to the church and God struck them dead. On that point, we'll take the offering. Um, and God struck him dead at that moment. And then I read in... First uh, Corinthians, in Corinthians, where and I, I've quoted that when you come to the communion table, examine yourself thoroughly, because some of you are ending up in coffins and are dying early and are dead because you have not approached the communion table in the right way. I'm uncomfortable with this. I'm uncomfortable. Because in our individualistic human world, whereby humanity and ourselves, we are the number one. We can ask ourselves the question, why is this here? Why does this happen? And it's this reason. We have forgotten what it is about the sacred. We've forgotten the sacred. We've forgotten that there is a God that is bigger than us. We've forgotten that there is a creator. We have 
become, often we forget that there is a sacredness about the things of God and, and that there is something bigger than our own human, our own opinion, our own individualistic ideas, our own rights and our own ways and our own demands and who we are, but there is a sacredness about the things of God. We don't hear this spoken about and we, we, don't, we can forget it. But there's a sacredness about the body of Christ and the church of God where God is present and where God is here. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash. With your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter the word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Ecclesiastes teaches us here that when they came to the temple and when they came to the Lord, that what they did was that that he was encouraging them to approach the things of God with a reverence, with a step, with a sense that God is here, not with a frivolous way, but understand that they were coming to the temple, to the house of the Lord, to commune with the presence of God and the very living presence of God. Somewhere... There is a danger in the Western church that we have become so frivolous that we have forgotten the awesomeness and the glory and the holiness of who God our Father truly is. And we become people that rush everything and do everything and rush in and go for it. And we rush here, we rush there, we pray here. And yet, yet Jesus taught us in two uh, Gospels, hallowed be thy name. Holy is the name of the Lord God Almighty. Holy is God. And when I come to prayer, I love to prayer. I love to be in his presence. I can't wait for 21 days when, when we engage in this period of, of, of prayer and believing God. But I know and you know that every time we go into the presence of the Lord Jesus is that I want to clear out the sins that are at work in my life. I want to offer myself. I want to not rush But I want to realize that I'm coming into a holy presence. Hallowed be thy name. And I think often what we've forgotten, we're seeking a God that is, is we've forgotten the sacred in our society. We've forgotten the awe. We've forgotten the holiness. We're unfamiliar with this. And the one area that we've become very unfamiliar with is a sense of mystery and a sense of honor and a sense of beauty that exists around what we call the body of Christ. 
is that in our journey often we've forgotten the marvel of the church. In Scripture, the marvel of the church. In Scripture, the honor and the beauty and the glory of what we call the church of God in the world. Now, I know that sometimes we go to church and we look around at each other and think, is this the best it can be? I don't know. You may look at people. You may wonder about them. Church is a very strange place. All of us from different circumstances, different stories, different experiences, thrown together and God says this gathering is glorious. God says this gathering is mysterious. God says it's amazing. And yet, often, let me read some scripture, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourished and cherished it. You don't hate your own flesh. Just as Christ, what? Does the church. Now you imagine the problem is, is that if I meditate on this verse and I meditate on its implications and I meditate on what God thinks of the church, then I'm reminded that in the same way that we cherish our own lives, so too Christ does the church of God. That he cherishes a church. He cherishes the people. He cherishes. And I think that often what we've done is we fail to even meditate on the beauty and the glory and God's opinion of the church. And we become flippant. We can, uh, become dismissive. And people talk about that there's no need for the church or, or become this way. And yet that Christ himself cherishes the church and wants to nourish the church because we are members of his body. We're members of his body. And we're people who I can do without church. I can do without being in church. I can do without this. This mystery is profound, he says in verse 32. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The problem with our modern culture is that we've lost the sense of the sacred and we've lost the sense of the mystery and church life has been dumbed down to something where we just do and attend rather than the mysterious and the glorious and the magnificent of the body of Christ which we are connected to the living God through the gift of the church to this world. If only... For 10 minutes a day, you meditated on this verse. I meditated on this verse. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to the Christ and the church. And Christ loves this profound mystery. He loves this sense. You know, the sun is 93 a uh, million miles away. And, and, and there it is, and it is amazing. I remember you, you, when, you, when you're in the sun and then the sun goes away for a moment, you realize it's light and it's presence and it's beauty. We, uh, it was, our girls, are, our oldest girls are 20 uh, this, um, this January. So um, 
I was thinking about the last 20 years of fatherhood and where the time has gone. But I was thinking about when they were just born, there was a total eclipse in Britain. And we took them, they were about eight or nine months. They couldn't really walk or anything. And we took them onto a hill. We sat them down and we waited for the total eclipse. They were were, crawling around, eating dirt. And, you know, and we were brushing them off. New parents sat on top of a hill. And suddenly the moon went in front of the sun. And then a total eclipse happened. You couldn't look at the sun. We were told, the whole of Britain were told, do not look at the sun. And there's loads of English people going, hmm. That's why we've got a medical crisis in Britain. And we're trying to work it all out. And they were staring at the sun. So, and then it, the sun disappeared. And the moment the sun disappeared, within moments, the ground became damp and actually dew came on the ground it became a little chilly and they were saying look girls it's amazing so they were just eating grass and then the light came back Peter teaches us that we are connected to the light of God that is more brilliant that is more greater that is more powerful that is more awesome than the sun itself is the glory of God the father in the heavenlies far more glorious far more wonderful and we experience the life of the church and the bible says that the glory of the lord is within us and his presence and even the angels hide their faces Isaiah chapter 6 away from the glory of the lord and yet you and i are connected to the glory of the lord and the danger is is that we lose a sense of god's perspective about his church and the mystery of the church Two Chronicles. I love this verse. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. Talking about the temple. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And we all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple. And they bowed with their faces to the ground on, on the pavement. So it was revival all around. Like, like 1906 revival in, in Wales and the Hebrides in the 50s. When the glory fell, people were falling on the streets. And here in Jerusalem, they're on the pavement, they're just the glory of the Lord's hitting the city. Because it's centered around the great temple temple and the pavement and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever and the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord the glory of the Lord came down wouldn't you have loved to have been there when you love to be have been present, when you love to be there, I just can't imagine. I, I I've looked at the temple many many times and thought about the temple and that idea and and um, 
And that, that, that sense of, of his, his presence was, was there. And what would I have felt like? What would I have experienced? What would I have known if I'd have been there and I'd felt the glory? I'd love to see that. Maybe in heaven we'll get like replays. And then we all sit in front of a massive heavenly screen and with our godly popcorn that has no calories. And, and, and we just, oh, watch the, let's see the Red Sea. Let's see this. Let's see the glory of the Lord falling on the temple of Solomon. The fire consuming it. And they all watched. And yet the New Testament teaches us something where I'm driving to. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. They had the glory of the temple in the Old Testament where the power of God came down and they fell on their faces. But what the New Testament teaches us, that you and I are part of a new temple, that you and I are part of a living temple, and that living temple is called the Church of Christ, and each one of us are living stones within that, and the glory of the Lord dwells within each one of us. So when we think about the church, the church is not just this strange little religious institution. The church is the temple of God within this world where the glory of God falls and God is present. That's it. And so we understand in whom you also are being built together and dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, the apostle writes that there is one temple, but he writes that we are plural in all the stones that are part of that temple. One temple. And that's why I think we should be so passionate about the body of Christ. That's why being part of a church community and devoted and committed is so important. That's why that we understand that the glory no longer dwells in the temple, but the glory dwells within the body of Christ, you and I. And this is a great mystery. I've only been a member of two churches in my life. The church I got converted in, grew up in, became the youth worker, became the youth pastor, was commissioned as an evangelist, was sent out, and became the senior pastor. And then, um, then I left as senior pastor after, I guess, I don't know, 25 years in that church. It was rough being part of that church at times. We were Plymouth Brethren. I don't know if you know that. That means that we basically locked the doors and prayed that people would climb in through the windows. We didn't want anybody really to join us. You had to beg to get saved sometimes. And when you got in the building, we had the communion table in the center. Believe me, it was not gospel friendly. And and the women sat on one side and the men sat on the other. 
And the women weren't allowed to pray. And then comes a little punk like me, who would eventually become their senior pastor. God has a sense of humor. And we'd sit there and then we'd wait and we'd wait and then somebody would pray and then a brother would bring the word and, and we'd do this. And I was a teenager with other group, little group of teenagers. And we'd all sit there and I was the convert and, and you know, and so on. And, and it, was, it was tough. And the church went through difficult changes. It went up in attendance. It went down in attendance. One day, because God was now moving, the youth group grew to about 70, 80, which was a mega youth group in those days. And God was working. Uh, The group of elders, there was a split over something. And so overnight, five elders resigned and delivered letters to all the members. And we'd lost our elders. We had three splits through the time I was there. Not when I was the pastor. (laughs) I was far too young. I didn't become a pastor until 32. And it was, it was nasty and it was difficult and it was hard. Church was going through a change. Still there though, with two congregations, planting ministries and hundreds of people going to it. But I realized something through those turbulent years of watching it up and down and watching people's opinions and going to very misbehaving members' meetings where people misbehaved. I realized something that, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. What I'm saying in this is that there is, of course, room for debate and thoughtfulness, opinion and engagement. But what I'm saying is that, that we have lost in the 21st century a deep sense that we are the temple of God. That there is a sacredness about the temple and the gathering of people. That there is a godliness about this. And when I or anybody, and I've observed it through my years in Christendom, I've observed it that when we start to become flippant and aggressive, it's like we have taking a sledgehammer to the church and starting to dismantle the living stones. And that's why we have to love each other. That's why we have to care for each other. That's why church is such hard work. But what we do not want to be is to take a sledgehammer to our churches because God has chosen the church as the hope of the world. And God has put his body in this world. And God has says, I love my church. It's a living temple my glory there. So stop taking a sledgehammer to the church and start loving the church. Start loving it. It's tough. Stayed with the same church until I came 
It was a little bit in between because then they had another senior pastor come and I was the old senior pastor in the back and so it wasn't, so we joined an Anglican church where Michelle was working and I was an evangelist and an evangelical Anglican church and, um, but generally committed to, for, for, for a year before I came to Willow Park. And so I've made it my mission to say the Lord loves our church he loves it, he loves it, he loves it. And it's so difficult, but I'm going to stay committed because families do not give up on each other. And so there's a beauty. And we mustn't destroy the temple. You know, some church pastors I know, you know, it's tough for them. Some churches, it's tough. They... Uh, you know, a pastor is critiqued on his sermon like a film star is critiqued on his acting. It's, it's, uh, we're compared with the 20 greatest preachers around the world because we all watch them preach and they go, well, our pastor's not like that. Of course not. You know, don't compare me to John Wesley or Spurgeon. It's tough. It's like we're watching a hockey game and then we go away and we take it all to pieces. It's like we do this and often it's, I've sat in coffee shops and, and groups gather together from other churches. They don't know who I am and I'm listening to their conversation. <laughs> There's a lot that you learn about other churches from those positions. Don't take a sledgehammer to what God calls a mystery. Love the body. Love, and you're part of that. You're part of that, and it's real. And what we know is, is that the fire of God fell into the temple. The fire moved, and they gathered together. This was an Israeli artist that I picked up, and, and I couldn't afford his painting. I think it was like, I don't know, $20,000 or something. So I took a photograph of it. Um, and it's free. Um, like this, click. Um, no, like that. And a beautiful sense of, of, of the awe and the presence and the power and the strength as they gathered together in the, in, in, into the temple. But it's not like that anymore. It's more like this. This is in Catalonia, Spanish, although they don't say they're Spanish. They want to be independent. Uh, but every year they have a competition where different teams in different colors see what kind of tower they can build, putting one on top of the other, until finally they put a little child there. YouTube it, it's fascinating. And then it falls down. And nobody gets hurt. Well, that's what they say. But, but I love this. The moment I saw this once, I just got, the Lord just said to me, this is my church. We are together. We build, we push up, we go farther, we step in, we move. You see, the fire of God fell in the temple. 
in Solomon's temple. And the fire of God fell on the church in Acts chapter 2 when his glory came down. And it was not just about evangelizing the nations, but it was the birth of the church. And the birth of the church was with fire. And we are the living stones. And we enjoy the presence and the fire of God within our lives. And so I want to remind you, and when you had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a gold bowl full of incense, which is are the prayers of the saints. We are a glorious temple that is erected to the Lord, to the body of Christ, with elders and with Ministry gifts and pastors and teachers and apostles and the body order of the Christ is of the body is amazing. But we are also linked deeply to the heavens. And when we have a prayer week and when we pray and when we gather as the temple. And we start to worship God with awe, and we understand this, and we start to pray then our prayers go into a bowl, if you like, and fill as incense before the living God. So we are the living temple, but there's a heavenly connection by which we worship, by which we pray, by which we seek God. And there's that connection between heaven and earth through the temple, which is us. And our prayers make a difference in the heavens. And those prayer bowls are there. And one day those prayer bowls will be poured out and God's revival will move in our nation. But I want to challenge you as a priest, priest of all believers, Are you filling the prayer bowls with your prayers? Are you praying? Are you praying and asking? Not only do we pray together, but it says that we sing together. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessed and honor and glory mighty forever and ever. That there is this profound mystery that we not only sing with the glories of the heavens. And when we gather to worship, we are joining heaven in that worship. I'm trying to draw you a picture of the sacred and the mystery about the beauty of the church. About how you are the living temple and the fire of God dwells within his living temple. Temple, and that we mustn't take a sledgehammer to the church that God sees as a mystery. It's part of God's plan before the foundation of the world and we're part of God's plan. The church is so mysterious and so magnificent that angelic angels themselves marvel at what God has done with human beings and the church. Heaven itself, angelic beings look at you and I and they marvel because the curtain's been thrown back and God has says, this is my plan, the church of God. This is glorious. It's glorious. 
marvel. What is the plan that every nation, that every tongue, that every people, that around the world today in every nation people are worshipping. And, and God is moving and God is present. So I think sometimes because the church has hurt us, sometimes because we deconstruct everything in our individualistic age, sometimes because we feel like we've been overlooked or whatever issue, we just want to have church in Starbucks. But what I'm trying to show you is that the church is more spiritual, more mysterious, more glorious. And to meditate on that. And it may mean, as I've had to do throughout the whole of my over 30 years in full-time ministry, is to say, Lord, I recommit myself to loving the body of Christ. You see it as a mystery. You see it as a glory. You see it as sacred. You see it as amazing. Help me to see it as you see it. Help me to see the church of God in a new way. A new way. That God will move. God will work. We are trying to build a church we were at an elders retreat on, on Friday night and Saturday at Vernon. And, and, you know, I was so amazed with our elders board. We gathered at, at two and began to pray. And we didn't stop praying until seven for this church. That's amazing. I don't know many boards in Western Canada, friends I talk to, that, that are willing to, to pray. And we prayed through the tabernacle and, and sought the Lord and then came with our requests at the end and moved. It was, it was remarkable. It's because the church matters. It matters. Scripture teaches me it matters. And even as a chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to his purpose of his will. Don't step out, step in. Take your living stone and connect it to each other. And allow the mystery and the sacredness and the glory to come. And if you've got a few sledgehammers you've been using, maybe you want to put them away. Or recycle them or something. And be a little bit more, as we all should be, a bit more, Lord, what is your heart? What is your opinion? What do you want to do? And maybe today... Is the day you discover again the mystery of the church of Christ. Let's pray together.
take a moment. I'm going to invite the stewards to come, or the ushers who are going to meet with us and serve us this morning to come and stand in position. And Scripture calls us at this point to examine ourselves. We're made worthy through the love of God. We're made worthy through his sacrifice. And maybe in the moments right now, you just hand over all of your angst, all of your opinion. Meditate on the mystery that is Christ Jesus and his body. Lord, we thank you now that it all sort of lands right here, right now with this table. And Lord, help us to rediscover the sacred in our life and the mystery in our life. And the presence of God in our life. And the night in which the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it saying this is my body which is broken for you. We want to give thanks and remembrance to what Christ has done upon the cross. We thank you for the body of Christ. And we remember the cost and the death. We remember all that you gave. The torment of the cross. That you purchased us by your blood for the church of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for the blood of Christ that takes away the sins of the world. All we ask is that everybody is free to eat of the bread and the wine. But if you're not a Christian, the scripture invites you to just let it go by. Don't engage. As it is a sacred act. A sacred moment. But maybe you'd like to become a Christian this morning. And you sat here and you've listened and you said, I'd love to be part of this church of Christ. I'd like to be a follower of Jesus. I acknowledge my sins and I ask you, God, to forgive me. This is a prayer I prayed at 15 years old. And you can take it for yourself and take your first communion as a follower of Jesus. If you mean it with all your heart, which I'm sure you do. Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. 
And as you gave yourself for me upon the cross, I give myself to you. I make you Lord. I invite you to fill my life and to forgive me that I may now be part of your glorious body, your church, and joined with you, I ask. I receive you as Lord and Savior. If you prayed that prayer, to receive him as Lord and Savior, this morning, we welcome you to this table. We welcome all who follow Christ now, in Jesus' name. Amen.